This is 105.9 The Region with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is good to hear. Well, there's been many good news stories and good stories that we need to hear over the last years, especially through the pandemic. And with more time to read things online, listen to podcasts, and understand social media, our eyes have been open to a different and new and better way of doing things in sports, sports media, and broadcasting in this country. And at the forefront is a senior contributor at CBC Sports and the uh, co-host of the Burn It, All, Burn it All Down podcast and a great follow on Twitter, Shireen Ahmed. Shireen, how are you? Hi, Jim. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Oh, uh, great. Um, and we share a fellow love of coffee, a love of sports. <laughs> but um, I've I've been really educated by you. I mean, I've been in sports media for almost 30 years, and I thought, well, geez, I know everything. And then I started following you and reading what you've written and listening to you. I'm like, wait a second. I still have a lot to learn. Maybe I've been doing things wrong. How, how are you changing the face of Canadian sports broadcasting to make it a better, more inclusive place in a really nice manner? That's what I feel you're doing. Oh, that's such a nice thing for you to say. Thank you so much. I think... I've had some incredible teachers, and I mean teachers not in only the traditional sense of the word. Is I don't only mean educators in the classroom, and I'm, I'm cognizant of how much you know educators do have an impact on their lives. And I'm also an instructor at X University, formerly known as Ryerson. And I teach sport media and sports journalism, so I know how impactful that can be. But I didn't have a traditional route into this industry, Jim. Like, I didn't go to J school. I, you know, I was in university for women's studies and Canadian politics. So I didn't, I, I didn't have that traditional route. But I think coming from that background, you're ready, you got nothing to lose. Like, honestly, Canadian sports media and sports media in general isn't full of people who look like me. Um, so at the same time, while the rest of the public is like, oh, that's a fresh perspective, I'm not, I'm scaffolding all off the work that's been previously done by people in my community, by people in different communities, the conversations that have been had for a really long time. So, you know, like I think always being in a place where we remember to constantly learn and unlearn. Like I've also unlearned a lot of things that weren't necessarily great. So I think that's probably the thing I'm the most proud of, like, being in a position to be dynamic in the way that I think and be influenced positively by others. You played a high level of soccer all through your life. You've coached soccer and taught it to numerous people for years. You're also a proud Muslim who wears a hijab. Why in 2022, with such a progressive prime minister and Canadians thinking we're so much better than other people, do we have a problem with a Muslim woman wearing a hijab? I think I represent, and I mean, it's funny you say this, because right now I'm working in collaboration with people in France where women who wear hijab aren't, aren't allowed to be teachers or work in the civil service. And we're seeing that in France, with Bill, uh, sorry, in Quebec, with Loi 21, like uh, Bill 21. And it's, it's a fear of, I mean, it's xenophobic and racist and misogynistic, but it's also a fear of what we don't know. And I'm not going to be out here being like, hey, you know, we should all have friends in, in different communities. But, yeah, we actually should. I mean, I'm very often the only Muslim colleague or teammate or friend that people have. And, you know, so I'm not out here trying to be a poster girl for Islam. Like, I don't need to be a PR person for my religion. But I'm, you know, you have conversations and ideas that you wouldn't be exposed to. And, I mean, it's the same thing, like, when I started to make good friends from the trans community. I hadn't before, so I learned about that when I had 
people who are super active in, in the black community. And when you bring these people into your life, they, they shine and they, they share and you, you learn and you unlearn without, you know, my best friend is an indigenous woman. And so the conversations that I started to have when I met her eight years ago had shifted the way that I think in a good way. Like I push myself, like, am I, am I looking at this from, from a way that's anti-oppressive and that is just, and as reporters and as sports journalists, we report on things accurately. Our job is to report fairly. And that is all being done. Like, I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is in line. I'm factually correct, et cetera, et cetera. But also, like, can I push myself? Am I pushing myself? Like, the worst thing you can do is be overly lax about the way you're thinking. I mean, lazy journalism is an expression that didn't come out of nowhere. Are we being the best we can be in this industry? Are we looking at things and as creatives and as storytellers? Are we, we have a huge responsibility. Like, I take my job really seriously. I mean, I love it. And I have lots of fun doing it. But I have, like, I have a responsibility to this craft. From your TED Talk, from your work as a senior contributor to CBC Sports, from your podcast, from working at X University, formerly Ryerson, are, do you get feedback from the next wave, those that you are inspiring that, hey, oh, okay, I didn't think I could do this, but I've, I've been inspired or listen to Shireen, she's educated me, so I'm going to try this now. Have you gotten that kind of feedback? Oh, yeah, that's probably one of the greatest compliments I've received because I was a first-time instructor this year. You know, I was new to the classroom, and you basically take your experience. And these students, I have to tell you, Jim, I was so invigorated because they are so great. They're they're young. They are eager. They're dedicated. They're so willing to learn and have conversations. And if that's the future of Canadian sports media, what I saw a reflection in my classroom, we're in very good hands because they, they think – and they're open to thinking. And then I know there's something associated with, you know, that youth and that fervor that we get jaded as we get older. But they're reminding me to keep that spark alive. And they're very much interested in the new types of conversations. And the two things that I, that I really stress upon is language and how important language is and how you should, you know, go if you're not sure and you're reporting on a community, find out. Like, for example, LGBTQ, you know, 2S plus, I like, do they have specific language that you need? Check, make sure you're, what you're reporting on your language is correct, that it's not harmful. And they're so open to those ideas. I did have a really great exchange with, uh, you know, with a, with a student because I take real life examples and I share them in the classroom. And there was one particular, you know, hockey player uh, who had a presser from the Oilers. And then the question from the press gallery and from the specific, from the specific reporter was, was too aggressive. And aggressive didn't mean that he was being, his ego had played in there. So I took that example and I'm like, I'm going to use this in my classroom. And one of my students replied on Twitter and said, I saw this and I thought, oh, Shireen wouldn't like this. And then went on to explain why he didn't like it. And that's what made me the most proud, that he started to think critically and say, why did this, why did this journalist behave in this way? What, what benefit was that? And I like the fact that he was already thinking about it. Whether I liked it or not didn't matter. But that particular student was, like, thinking differently. And that's, that's one of the biggest compliments I've received, I think. I know I've dealt with Wayne Simmons uh, through the years, and he's very, very proud to be part of the BIPOC community. And he was really moved by the Boston Bruins retiring Willie O'Ree's number 22. You wrote about it, and it really touched the nerve with you. Why is that? Well, 
I mean, first of all, admittedly, I grew up into a family. I was born into a family that are hardcore Canadians fans. So for me to be in Boston in TV Garden, first of all, was like a big <laughs> thing. But then, you know, to be moved to tears. And I was actually moved to tears because of the sense in that arena, like the, 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 the emotion, the sentiment. People understood what was happening. This wasn't just... You know, there was, you know, it wasn't just Ray Bork or Cameo. It was different. This wasn't just a legend. It was a very specific layer of the reason for why Willie O'Ree mattered. I mean, his story in itself is incredible, but that he could, you know, yes, he broke the color barrier, but it's not to say as if the ceiling has been completely shattered. He cracked it and went through, but what does it look like now? And if you're going to use that metaphor of the glass ceiling, I still feel like there's shards of glass you know, around, around the structure. And, and that can still be perilous for people. And, and we need to be aware of that. I mean, hockey itself is not the problem. The systems or the cultural, you know, the toxic cultures are the problem. And, you know, I was so happy to see him being celebrated in this way. Because you know, Boston, like many other sports teams, doesn't have the greatest reputation in terms of, you know, dealing with anti-blackness. It really doesn't. And, you know, this is the same arena that, you know, where Bill Russell played for the Celtics. It has a history of people that are formidable and who had really contributed. And one of the most wonderful things about Willie O'Ree, his legacy, is, is what he's doing for the next generation. And, you know, when I talk about educating and other people talk about inspiring, we do this for the next generation. We do this so they can be better. They, we do this so that, you know, they can really shine. And Willie O'Ree's impact on the game, we won't see now, but we'll see in the next generation. Like you said, Simmons, he's out there. Like Anson Carter, you know, former NHLer and former Bruin, helped carry that actual banner out. Do you know how impactful that was? And, you know, this was a player who had dreads when nobody else did. Hmm. So, like, it was, it was, the moment was wonderful. I mean, I didn't stay for the whole game. I lost 7 1. So, by the end of the first, I was like, I got to go home and write this call. <laughs> so, I'm not going to lie about that. But hey, hey, a deadline's a deadline. <laughs> a deadline's a deadline. And they were already down so, so much. But, you know, I think that being there was, was an honor. Also, he's a Maritimer. I'm from Nova Scotia, yeah. so I'm going to big up anybody who does anything for the Maritimes. You know, <laughs> I, I, what I think I, uh, it appeals to me the most about your attitude and your approach to life and, and media is you, you're you're obviously extremely intelligent, you're open, uh, you're inclusive, but also you're very self-deprecating and funny and you talk about things and you do it in such a way that doesn't seem heavy handed. And it's such a refreshing change. Why, where do you get that sort of openness, sense of humor, self-deprecation that makes it just so much fun to be a part of your social media circle? Oh, that's very kind of you to say. And my children think I'm the most unfunny person. I'm very <laughs> often like, just to stop, mama, to stop. I have four children and I think being grounded or, you know, sort of being, them being very real with me has been extremely helpful because they're just like, that's terrible. My daughter, I think once a day, will say, don't, please don't say that ever again. <laughs> so, I mean, I, when you have these type of, they're not editors, but they're people that are your critics. Like, I remember the first time, and they, they keep you so well balanced because I remember the first time, I was like, guys, I was just on Sports Center and I was so excited because, like, you know, my job wearing single mom in her 40s and the kids were like, that's nice. Can we have quesadillas? <laughs> like, they just, they, 
they just totally don't care. And I mean, they care in a good way, but they're also like, I, to them, I'm their mom. And as far as the humor goes, it's definitely for my parents. I mean, my dad and I have been bantering like over text or over whatever. And I think one of the things that I was very lucky is to have two parents that treated children with a lot of intelligence and respect. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't realize what was happening. But when you treat your children like they're smart and beautiful, they believe you. And, you know, I hope to carry that on. I mean, I, I really, you know, I poke my kids back and I make fun of them all the time. And I enjoy parenting in such a profound way. But, you know, I think that especially in the pandemic right now, we're all on top of each other and we've managed to survive. I mean, there's moments where you break down, right? Like you're just like, but to quote Bell Hooks, the, you know, great black academic and thinker who, who died um, recently, um, was that you use humor as a way to not only build bridges, but as a, as a tool of uh, self-preservation and resistance. You have to be able to laugh. I work... I talk about racism and misogyny all the time. I report on abuse. I need some levity because this job is really hard. And if I don't laugh and if I don't bring joy and don't hold joy, I'll, I'll like crumble. And I've seen so many colleagues with heavy beats, be it COVID or health or science or, you know, everything else or business reporting on what's happening in our communities. We need a place to enjoy the small things and really be grateful. So, you know, I practice gratitude all the time, whether that's in prayer or that's in, you know, just sharing jokes and, you know, little anecdotes about life, which, you know, I, I, my, I use my kids a lot. They were telling me the other day that they would like to be paid because I, they provide content for me. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I told them that if, you know, you paid me for the amount of labor that I spent raising you, you would owe me like $700,000. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we have these conversations. But, like, I think I take off the – I like also – I like funny things. And it's, it's, it's been a survival tactic. And what I've noticed is people out there are so grateful for those kind of moments of levity. There is a way to have very serious conversations but then also recognize that, yes, we need to laugh. It's not only physically cathartic, but it's also emotionally recharging and psychologically freeing at times. You have to be able, you know that whole expression where you laugh until you cry? Because mm-hmm. those two things are, are really, really, you know, and I've worked on stories, Jim, where I'm in tears for much of it. If it's abuse or it's something else, it's so frustrating that you need to have this is why I kind of watch the Golden Girls or Shits Creek over and over again. Because <laughs> yeah. I need, I need, we all need that laughter. Shereen, I, I can't thank you enough for this. I, I just, I'm just such a big fan of you as a person, as a journalist, as a professional. And um, at underscore Shereen Ahmed, you have to follow her. You will learn, you'll laugh, and you'll be better for it. Um, uh, all the best in the future. And this make 2022 the year, Shereen. Oh, you're so, so kind. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm like, your writing is one of my favorite and you, you also inspire like just the way that you pen and, you know, I'm a scribe at heart just like you. So it's just, this is very wonderful and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. All the best, Shireen. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Good to hear. This is the good news. Kathleen Newman-Bermang is the recipient one of only three of the Canadian Screen Awards Changemaker Award. 
This is a new and special award, which recognizes and honors those in the media community in Canada who are using their voice or their platform to call out systemic racism and discrimination, supporting and amplifying the voices of those who are actively engaged in anti-racist work and seeking structural transformations in media, film and television organizations in Canada that promote values of equity and inclusion. This is so good to hear. Kathleen, congratulations. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and for the congratulations. I appreciate it. How did you learn about this recognition? Oh, well, Kayla Gray, who is one of the other recipients, is one of my best friends. And she texted me, check your email. Um, and when I did, I, I stopped in the street and started crying. And then I FaceTimed her and she was crying. We cried together. And then we texted Amanda Paris who is the other recipient, and she told us she was crying as well. So <laughs> it was a lot of happy tears and, uh, you know, just a recognition of, of this hard work that we do. Were you surprised? Oh, yeah, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I also am such a, a fan and a champion of Kayla and Amanda, so I was like, oh, they make sense. But me, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was shocked. I was not expecting it at all, and, you know, this industry can be, really tough, especially um, as a black woman in Canadian media. And it was one of those days where I was having a really tough day in this industry. So to get the news was shocking, but also felt like uh, this, you know, kismet timing that I I needed to hear some (laughs) positive reinforcement at that time. Well, I got to say when, you know, when I was a young journalist, one of the few female producers in the newsroom, and it was not lo- that long ago. It was the early 90s. But even at that time, it was not always easy to say something. And you've been talking and writing about these issues for years. Can I ask how and where did you find the strength to speak up, to say something? Because I think you're you're very, very brave. Thank you. Um, you know, I stand behind a lot of incredible women, some whose names we know, uh, like Tracy Moore, who we both know, but also some who left the industry, but, you know, still knocks down doors that I get to walk through. So I think that strength came from the work of so many um, other journalists of color and black women specifically who work in Canadian media before me and, and knocked down barriers. Um, and then I also get them from my peers, from like a Kayla Gray and, a, and Amanda Paris, um, because, you know, they're with me through this. And some of the other incredible black women journalists in this country, you know, we have a little support network that we, when we face backlash to the pieces that we write or speaking out against anti-black racism in Canada, I get a, we get a lot of hate and we lean on each other. So I think that strength. Uh, comes from the community. Um, it comes from wanting to make this space safer for the little black girls who have dreams like I did. Um, and just so that their dreams aren't as deterred, I would say, than you know what I've had to deal with in my career earlier and um, what the woman before me had to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, sometimes it's hard, but I think that I have, um, I'm so grateful to have a support system. Your essay, For Black Women in Media, A Dream Job is Only a Myth, 
It was raw. It was brutally honest. Was it difficult for you to share all that you did? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was the hardest thing I've ever written, the hardest uh, thing I've ever done. I had to dig really deep, you know. And one of the main points I wanted to make in that essay is if you look at my career on paper and some of the places I've worked, they, that was the dream. You know, they were the dream jobs. I worked at Much Music. Um, I was at Bell Media for years. I, I worked at The Social. Um, I worked within CTV. Um, I went to the Oscars. Like, I, I did all of these things that I think from the outside looking in, it would be like, oh, she has a dream job. She has the dream job. She is uh, an exception to the rule that black women don't belong in this industry. And I wanted to write that because, sure, you can look at me as the exception. You can say that I had all these dream jobs, but people don't know what happens behind the scenes. And this discrimination that I faced, the battles that I was fighting for my humanity almost every day at work, um, which I don't think anyone should have to deal with. Um, and so, yeah, I really just wanted to, to put it all out there. And at, the, at that time, I wrote it in July 2020, we were having this conversation, you know, that, that racial reckoning. I don't love that term because it feels too cute and like a catch-all for what was happening, which is really harrowing. But um, at the, the racial reckoning of 2020, you know, there were other people speaking up as well. And I did feel like this was the time that people would actually listen and receive what I was trying to say. So, yeah, I was terrified and it was extremely hard. And, you know, there had, there was legal involved. There was uh, former coworkers who had said some of the, the microaggressions and racist things that I was putting on the piece that I had to talk to. And yeah, it was really, really tough, but I'm so grateful that it resonated with so many people. The Canadian Screen Awards are set for April 10th. What's next for you, though? Oh, well, I am the Deputy Director Global of Refinery29 Unbothered, which is a brand made for and by Black women. Um, and I got to go back to work. You know, the reason we are being recognized, this Changemaker Award, which I think the name implies that the Canadian Screen Awards and the Canadian industry, media industry, is uh, hopeful for change and wants change. And so that's what I'm hoping for because there is still so much work to do. So what's next for me is to continue to do this work, to call out injustice in the film and television where I see it, and to um, just create a safe space for Black women online that they can go to and they can receive joy and information and education. Um, and that's what I'm bothered is. Belated birthday wishes and congratulations once again, Kathleen newman Bermang, 2022 Canadian Screen Award Changemaker. Way to go. Wow, it still sounds surreal to hear you say that. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Good to hear. We'll be right back on 105.9 The Region. Listen live at 1059theregion.com or 105.9 FM. This is 105.9 The Region with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is Good to Hear. This is Kevin Frankish, and when we think of things that are good to hear, we often think big. We think of someone who has raised a million dollars or someone who has cleaned up an entire beach. 
But what we forget is that there are good news stories that are happening in people's day-to-day lives that are huge to them. One such case is a woman in Woodbridge. Uh, She is 30 years old, diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer back in 2020. And after many rounds of chemo, her treatment needed surgery. The operation, of course, through COVID was delayed, cancelled, postponed. However, she has found out that the surgery will in fact happen next week. Her name is Cassandra DeMaria and she is on the line with me right now. Hello, Cassandra. Hello. Hello. So may I ask how you're feeling today? I'm okay. Just resting. <laughs> yeah. What what uh what does this cancer mean for your day to day life? Um, there's some good days and some bad days. On a bad day, it's just intense leg pain, back pain, stomach pain. Um, I'm usually on medication in bed on those days. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what my days look like. How are you, how did you feel initially when, when you heard, how many times was the, the operation put off? Well, I was supposed to have it like uh, end of November, early December. Um, and then I was always told we don't have a date, we don't have a date, we don't have a date. So I wasn't sure when it was. And then I was given a date for January 11th and then January 19th canceled. Um, yeah, and now it's rescheduled for the 26th. And are we confident that that is the date? Yeah. Okay. At this point, I don't think they're backing out after everything has gone not. out. <laughs> so what was the feeling like each time that you were told, I'm sorry, we, we have to we have to move it back? Yeah, um, I was definitely upset and I was uh, scared because, you know, then you're giving the cancer the opportunity to grow further. And I've already had a really tough time and... I just was like, you know, looking forward to having the surgery and healing and hopefully moving on with my life. So to have that delayed time and time again when the cancer is possibly spreading, um, that was scary because then when it's too late, it's too late. Mm-hmm. What will this operation provide you? Um, hopefully after it, I will no longer have to be on chemo and I will be cancer free. And from what I understand, and I'm sorry, because I I have never been with someone who's been on chemo and that, uh, I've only heard the stories that it is hell. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. Um, a lot of side effects and it really kind of takes a toll on your body because with chemo, not only is it, you know, targeting the the cancer cells, it's targeting the good cells too. So you're kind of ruining your whole body, but um, it's something I guess that needs to be done. Now, because in order, in order for me to even have like the surgery that I'm going to have, you you have to shrink the slots as much as you can. That's, mm-hmm. You know, this is going to mean some good changes in your life. What's what's the Hopefully, next chapter yeah. hold? Well, I am planning to get married April 2023 um, and then move in with my husband and um, just kind of 
move forward and get back to working. I haven't been able to work since I've been diagnosed. Um, yeah, I get back to doing things that I enjoy, hobbies. Hopefully one day bring a baby into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, have sometimes these things make us stronger too. Have you, have you learned anything uh, having to fight through this? Yeah, absolutely. Um I've learned uh a lot of things that through this experience the whole social media thing I've learned about the power of community, that's for sure. And then I've definitely learned a lot about um just cancer in general and treatment sources that I never knew existed uh, because really you don't you don't know anything about it until you're in it unfortunately um so like you like you were saying you just heard stories but once you're in it and you see all the things you're like oh my god I had no idea <laughs> so I definitely learned a lot um yeah I learned a lot there he's been good so there are most likely people out there who have just found out their diagnosis. Could you send them a message? Yeah. I mean, I, I know that it's absolutely terrifying um, to be given news like that, but just know that there there is treatment out there and, you know, do everything you can and uh, you can beat this. It's Cancer is not a death sentence always. Um, unfortunately, sometimes it is, but it's not always. So, you know, just keep being positive. Positive mindset is everything. Um, I believe that it truly makes a huge difference. Um, so I would say, yeah, just, just as much as it sucks and nobody wants to be put in this position, just keep a positive mindset and do what you got to do. All right, uh, Cassandra, I know you're tired, uh, and I, I really want to thank you for speaking with us. Um, there's so many people here, so many people listening who are looking for good news stories, and I have every confidence in the world that yeah. that after January 26th that uh, the next chapter of your life uh, can begin unimpeded. So all our thoughts and our prayers go with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right. Thank you, Cassandra. That's uh, Cassandra DeMaria. Uh, she has uh, a date with surgery to change her life next week. And uh, all our thoughts go with her. Send us your good news stories at info at 1059theregion.com. This is good to hear.